that we want to spend a few moments with is a story that if you grew up going to Sunday school, you've heard several times before. It has to do with King Solomon at the beginning of his reign. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this from 1 Kings chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father, David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, although I am only a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. For who can govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has ever been before you, and no one like you shall rise after you. May God bless the reading of his word. All right. Solomon. It's one of those names that even people who don't know much about the Bible recognize that name and perhaps even know a little detail or two about Solomon. Solomon kind of falls into that category of biblical characters like Adam and Eve and Noah and Moses that even people outside the culture of the church have picked up on some things. Unlike other people in the Bible, that only those of you who really spend a lot of time reading your Bible and have grown up going to Bible study all your life would even recognize people like Ehud. Got some people that know Ehud here? Okay. You're bashful. You're being modest, aren't you? All right. Ehud or Abimelech. How about Agag? I don't know why that name has fallen into disuse. Uh, I think uh, some of you young couples that are going to be adding to your family, I would submit to you to consider the name Agag. But if you know names like that, then you know that you are really a Bible student and you get a gold star today. But pretty much everybody has heard of Solomon and knows something about him. When I say the name of Solomon, let's play word association. What name comes to your mind? Wise? 
Well, I'm, not, I'm hearing, but I can't hear. And we're like, I can't hear. Temple, okay, thank you. Got one up here. Wives, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, I was wondering who might point that out. It's Michael O'Brien, remembers that part, okay. Uh, Bob Bruni in first service, Michael. So you, okay, got that. All right, <laughs> whatever you want to make of that. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, anyway, we know some things about Solomon. And uh, we want to pause this morning and look at this rather familiar story that happened right at the beginning of his reign and find out that this guy who in so many ways is so different from us and who lived 3,000 years ago, yet something that occurred in his story can inform our story as well. The text is an account of Solomon's early years right after he had been anointed as the king of Israel. And uh, he was about 20 years old at that time whenever he became king over Israel. Now, he was not the oldest son of David. Now, that's normally who would become the next king. Whenever the king died, his oldest son became the king. Now, there's a lot, very interesting story about how Solomon's older brother, Adonijah, there's another name, isn't it? If you know who Adonijah is, well, that's David's oldest remaining son when they get to this point of David's life. Well, Adonijah did a pretty good job of putting together and getting support from some of the really important people of David's uh, 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 kingdom. And he even planned an inauguration ceremony and everything was going to go wonderful. It took the prophet Nathan and Solomon's mother going and pleading with the dying King David. And one of his last statements that he uttered before he died finally made Solomon the king. And so because all of that, here at the beginning of his reign, God now appears to Solomon and promises him that he will give him anything that he wants. You just name it, Solomon. You pick any one thing, and that I will give you. So we want to look at this promise by God, and we also want to look at the request that Solomon made. And as we do so, There are two basic things that come to my heart about these stories. And since I've been the one that gets to to get up here and talk, then I'll tell you those two things. Afterwards, uh, I would appreciate hearing any other thoughts that you might have that come out of this story as well. One of my favorite things is as people are leaving, uh, they say, you know, something else about that passage is this. And uh, many times I learned something I had never thought of before. But that's always encouraging to me because, one, I know that you listened at least to the reading of the passage, okay, and that also you're thinking and that you're letting the Word of God work in your lives as well and letting these stories about the servants that went before us inform you and guide you. All right, well, let me tell you my two impressions of this story. First of all, this story tells me of the deep and wonderful and marvelous grace and mercy of our God. In fact, the grace and mercy that is found in this story 
reaches all the way back to Solomon's mom and dad, who were David and Bathsheba. Now, as soon as you say David and Bathsheba, there again, people who don't know a lot about the Bible, they say, I know that story. They know how David and Bathsheba got together. They know about their adulterous relationship that just spiraled out of control to the point that Bathsheba's first husband, Uriah, the good and faithful and loyal servant of David, and the one who loved his wife Bathsheba dearly, that he proved to be expendable, and David plotted to have him killed so that he and Bathsheba could be together. Now, things along this line still occur today, maybe without the killing part, but, you know, things kind of spiral out of control in our lives sometimes as well. And the biblical story of David and Bathsheba does not pull any punches in telling us the terrible consequences that came into the lives of David and Bathsheba because of what they did. It tells us about the chaos that resulted in David's family. It tells us about the rebellion of his children. It tells us about sexual abuse within his family. It tells us how much they suffered, even to the death of one of their children. All because they had chosen to do something that was not godly. All because they had not honored marriage. All because they had let a marriage be dissolved. All of these things came about, and it was like an opening Pandora's box, if you will. And that's one of the lessons that we get when we read about David and Bathsheba. Underlined by that story is the fact that God intends marriage to be for a lifetime. And that any time two people decide that they're going to break those marriage vows, nothing but chaos and pain results. And that is a lesson that we in the church continue to hold forth and to say, look, this is what God's ideal is for marriage. This is what God wants for us for marriage is that we grow and learn to love and learn what love is and learn what marriage is so that our marriages are not ripped apart. And the chaos and the pain that can last a lifetime might result. But at the same time, we give that warning and tell that truth. We must also look and see how in this story, God took sinful people who through their repentance, through their confession, through their tears, and through their love for God were put back together again. Bathsheba in the story is constantly called the wife of Uriah. Even after she becomes pregnant with a child that is David's child. God keeps referring to her. The prophet Nathan refers to her as the wife of Uriah, for that's who she really was. But over a period of time, because of David's penitence, because of David's tears, 
because of his confession and his desire to serve and to love God. God takes David and Bathsheba and heals them. And toward the end of the story, right there in Scripture, you read these words. David and his wife, Bathsheba. And to this couple, God gives Solomon and decrees that Solomon will be the next king. And so right off the bat, we realize that this story is as much about healing as it is about pain. And as much as it is about reminding us of the punishment and the struggles that this couple went through, it reminds us of God's mercy and his grace. And just as the message of this church and all churches should be, what God's plan for and ideal and our encouragement should be to support and to help marriages, we also are here to reclaim people and to find the healing and the mercy of grace that God will pour into penitent and broken hearts. And David had one of those broken hearts. And so did Bathsheba. And out of their terrible start came Solomon. Out of their breaking of marriages came a life together. We must hold that truth forward as well. Well, not only to David and Solomon is this, I mean, David and Bathsheba is this a message of grace. It is to Solomon as well. Because Solomon is at best a mixed bag. We began reading uh, our story in verse 5 of chapter 3 of 1 Kings. I want to back up to chapter 1. I'm not getting uh, Come on, Tommy, you can do it. Verse 1, chapter 3 of 1 Kings, and sort of get a little bit of a running start at this story. See what's going on in Solomon's life at the time that God appears to him. Verse 1, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David. Anyone got a problem with that? Anybody know anyone who has a problem with that? Solomon has married the daughter of the Pharaoh of Egypt. I know someone who's got a problem with that. His name is God. God had specifically said that his kings are not to marry the daughters of foreign kings. It's even written down in Deuteronomy. It's written in Scripture. You do not do this. And yet Solomon, right off the bat, has done it. Looking ahead, does this cause him any problems later on in life? Anybody know the rest of his story? Oh, yeah. But right at this point, the problems that are pointed out is that by doing this, he is so caught up in his honeymoon and his wonderful affair that he's having now with this new young Egyptian wife that he doesn't finish building his own house. He doesn't start building the temple. And he even does not start building the defensive walls around the city of Jerusalem. And besides that, when he does go worship, well, let me read verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, but he sacrificed and offered incense at the high places. And it is at the chief high place, Gibeon, where Solomon is whenever God appears to him. 
Solomon is going to the place where idols are worshipped in order to worship God. Solomon is mixed up. He loves God, but he's not doing things in the right way. That's why this story is a story of grace and mercy to God. This story tells us that God responds to imperfect love because Solomon has not yet got his act together, but God is working with him, and God is not going to give up on him. And to this man who is sleeping there at a place devoted to the worship of idols, God appears and says, I will give you whatever you request. I want to take a step back. Is that enough? Just for a moment. And tell you how much that part of this story means to me. Because I can look back in my life as most of you can look back in your lives. And there are events in our lives that we wish had never happened. There are things that we have done we wished we'd never done. There are things that we have said that we wished we never said. But we love the Lord. We truly do. And our love is imperfect toward the Lord. We want it to be more. We want it to be greater. And sometimes we just wonder, will he love us back? And will he bring into our lives the blessings that we need so much? The story of David and Bathsheba, the story of Solomon himself, tells us that our God is a God of grace, a God of mercy, and a God of healing. Now, that is enough to get out of this story, but I got one more thing and seven more minutes, okay? It's what Solomon asked for. You know, I, I sometimes wonder, what if this happened to me? What if God really did appear to me in some form and say, Tommy, I'll give you whatever you want? What would that be? Solomon has an answer for that. Of course, here he is, 20 years old, becoming the king over God's people. And he is feeling the burden of that. You may have noticed in the reading that he said that I am only a child. Well, that doesn't mean he's this tall. He's 20 years old, which is pretty good for a 20-year-old to remember and to know his immaturity. <laughs> Sometimes it's good for those of us who are 40, 50, or 60 to recognize our immaturity. And therefore, he says, I'm not ready to do this. He says, I don't even know how to go out and come in or come in and go out. Did you catch that language? That's not talking about he doesn't know how to use a door, okay? That's military language. He says, I don't know how to lead an army. I don't know how to be the king. I don't know how to be. His, his father, David, was this great general. And he says, how am I going to do that? I don't know how to get an army together. I don't know how to lead the army. What am I going to do? He says, therefore, because of all this situation, I have one request. And let me read you that request again. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind. Now, that is the correct translation of that phrase, but it's an idiom. You know what an idiom is? An idiom is when you say something, it's one word, and it really implies something else. Let me give you the, 
literal translation of that because I think you will understand then why it's translated the way it is. What Solomon said was this, God, give me a listening heart. Give me a heart that will open up and really hear and listen. Now, I don't know if I would be wise enough to ask for that. That's why I'm so glad I have this story here, because I'm ready now. And I promise you, if God ever appears to me in a dream and says, Tommy, I'll give you whatever you want, I'm going to ask for a listening heart, because that is going to be the basis of everything else. Who is it that we need to listen to? Who does our heart need to be tuned to so that we might hear? The voice of our God who can lead us and guide us and shape us into the people that we need to be. And God can do that only if our hearts will listen to him. We can listen to him in the scripture. We can listen to him, his voice that has been recorded throughout the generations. You know, I don't understand why sometimes we say, oh, I know I should read the Bible more, and I don't. You know, I've made the point many times before. I'm going, we're going to have trouble being in our generation, standing before God and say, you know, I had 16 Bibles in my house. I had an iPad, and I had an iPhone. I had a computer. I had your word at my beck and call in any way. I lived during a time where I did not have to work from sunup to sundown in order to make a living. And yet I just couldn't find time to open up my heart and listen. I don't think that excuse is going to fly. Lord, give us a listening heart that we may hear your voice. What it is that you want us to be and what it is that you want us to do. We listen to God through our prayer time. And as I've said many times, and I keep telling myself this and reminding myself this, that when I pray, I need to be at least as courteous to God as I try to be to other people. When I have a conversation with someone, I try to listen at least half the time. Is my prayer life only me talking to God? Or in the quietness of my heart and on my knees? Do I listen to give him opportunity to soften and to touch and to turn and to guide? Do I listen to God in the prompting and leadership of his spirit? Paul said in the book of Galatians chapter 5, if we are led by the spirit, let's also live by the spirit. We have to guide, let him be our guide and to lead us and to guide us. As I was thinking about these things, it was interesting. I, I teach a class uh, at Christian Village on Thursdays, and we're working our way through the book of Mark and came to chapter 14. And in chapter 14 of Mark, uh, Mark tells us the story of this unnamed woman that comes into the house of Simon the leper and anoints Jesus with some costly ointment right in the last days of his life. And people were outraged. They say, you know, you've wasted $30,000 worth of ointment pouring it on his head. You should have sold it and given the money to the poor, right? And Jesus says, leave her alone because she has anointed me for my burial. 
Now, what struck me in thinking about Solomon's listening heart and thinking about that story was that out of all the people Jesus had talked to, out of all the things that he had told them, he kept telling them over and over, I am going to die. We are going to Jerusalem. I will be arrested. I will be crucified. And I will die. How many people heard him say that? One. Not his disciples. Because they were so busy thinking about themselves and what was going to happen and what they were going to be and all these things. They had their minds going 100 miles an hour. They didn't slow down and listen. Oh, Lord, give us a listening heart to hear your voice in our lives so that we might discern, as Solomon says, between good and evil. And let me close just talking about that just for a second. Folks, that is hard. Ask some young, you know, isn't it hard sometimes to decide what's good and what's bad? Bad can look awfully good at times. And sometimes the good can look very difficult and we can determine it to be evil. How can we know what is really good in this life unless we're listening to God and our hearts are tender enough for him to lead us and guide us to let us know? It's interesting that that one of the retellings of the story of Adam and Eve at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil goes like this. Uh, Now, I'm not saying this is the right interpretation, but it's one interpretation that's given, that the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil had two fruits on it. One was good fruit, one was evil fruit. The problem was they looked very much the same. And whenever they chose one of the fruits off the tree, thinking they were picking the good, they picked the evil. I can relate to that too. Because sometimes we make what the best choice that we thought we could make, and it turns out terrible. Sometimes the very thing that we think is going to enhance our life begins to destroy our lives. These are where addictive behaviors begin. These are where problems begin as we seek to punish others because we think they need to be punished. Or we're going to do this or do that because this is the right thing to do. And we find out that it's not. Lord, give us listening hearts to hear your word, to hear your voice in our lives. Give us hearts that are soft enough to be responsive to you. This Lord who promised to give Solomon a listening heart and came to him in grace and mercy, is still the God who comes to us. And no matter where you are in your life right now, his grace and mercy are available to you, if you will but love him. Maybe imperfectly, but love him still. And whatever we do, let us plan in our lives to listen to his word and to lift up the prayer, Lord, give us listening hearts. Let's stand and sing.